Welcome to the Hoop Commitment. I'm your host, Mike Nielsen. Join me every week to get inside the greatest minds in basketball nutrition, training, and leadership to elevate your game and improve the way you eat, train, and lead. Welcome to episode 48. I had a great time last week on the Coach's Hang Time Zoom session where I got to share how systems thinking helped me create the three levels of nutrition, training, and leadership. You know, one of the hidden benefits of COVID has been connecting and sharing with others online. And today's interview just proves that point. I had the pleasure of connecting with Ashley Beaver from Duke Women's Basketball to learn how she builds injury and fatigue-resistant athletes. They're starting a new era by hiring head coach Kara Lawson, and Ashley will be a big part of their success. I picked her brain on basketball strength training, ankle and hip mobility, ACL reduction theories, and ankle braces. Here's Ashley Beaver. Ashley, welcome to the Hoop Commitment Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on today. Well, it's so fun to connect with other strength coaches so I can learn and take stuff back to my program. And so thanks so much for coming on. And today what I wanted to touch on was creating injury and fatigue resistant athletes. But before we even dig into that, you have a lot of new stuff going on at Duke. I'd love to have you share what's going on with your program. We just recently hired a new coach, Coach Kara Lawson, who was most recently an assistant coach with the Celtics. But if you have never heard of Kara before, she played under Pat Summit. And so if you know anything about basketball, you definitely know about Pat Summit. So she played under her, I want to say, three-time All-American while she was there and then had a really good career in the WNBA for 13 years and then got into, she played for USA Basketball and then she started coaching for USA Basketball and then moved over to the NBA side. So I am very, very excited to see what the program does, learn more about her and her philosophies. And our athletes are so excited. I've called a few of them already and everybody's like, we're excited to come back. Because unfortunately, we are still not back, but soon enough, soon enough. Well, does she have any eligibility left? (laughs) I wish she had some eligibility left. That would be amazing. Yeah, what a crazy time to take over a program but not have access to all your players. How are you managing this time without being able to connect with all your athletes? It is a lot of kind of what we're doing right now, right? It's a lot of Zoom calls. It's a lot of FaceTiming and just calling. And I got away from the calling just to be like, you know, are you working out? And hey, I sent this. And It's been a lot more time of me. Hey, how are you doing? Like, how are you just doing? Are you staying safe? How is your mental health right now? Anything like that. And just actually having conversations, not that we wouldn't have conversations, but having conversations that have zero to do with basketball and zero to do with working out. That being said, they get a new program every four weeks. I send some mobility videos along with that. So that way I'm not getting individual texts on what everything is. But that is the most we can do. I can't check up on them or anything like that. But I do have some very inquisitive incoming freshmen. So that's been nice. I've gotten a lot of texts from them. So sending a lot more videos than I think I have ever sent in my life. Yeah, that's the nice thing about technology. Sometimes I wish it away. I'm like, if we could just get rid of these cell phones. But during this time, it's been so nice to be able to send videos of exercises or explanation because Trying to describe a single leg rotation squat jump through text, it's just so much easier to send that video and shoot it off. 
And some of the time, especially with the mobility stuff, I might just call it something that's more relevant to, to movements we normally do in the weight room. And so they're trying to look it up and they're like, I can't find this anywhere. So it's just been so much easier. That and we have two athletes currently in Australia and a few out in Nigeria. So without technology, like what you're saying, there's no way I would be able to get a hold of them as quickly and as instantly as I would have liked to. So there is positives and negatives. And so hopefully you get all your athletes back on campus sooner than later. But when you do, we know that they are probably going to be detrained, even if they've worked out consistently throughout this whole time period. A lot of them didn't have access to weight rooms or even access to a court to be able to use. So I want to chat about building injury-resistant athletes, fatigue-resistant athletes. But we know that injuries are a part of sport. We can't prevent necessarily injuries, but we can reduce the chance of it happening. So would you mind giving us your overall philosophy on how to keep athletes safe? I think my overall philosophy on that is just to take a holistic approach. I know that my job is strength and conditioning and sports performance, but that has to encompass mental health and nutrition and recovery and mobility just as much as it does doing conditioning drills and being in the weight room. I think this time with COVID and everything that's happening has really kind of had us all take a step back and think and come up with new ideas and everything like that. So for me, my philosophy over the course of COVID has been, I just need you to move. We just can't sit still. But my biggest thing is adding a huge mobility piece to it. And the only reason is if I can get you to come back to me after four months of not playing, not having a weight room, not touching a weight, doing anything, if you can come back to me and your ankles are a little bit looser and your hips are a little bit looser, I'm already at like a one instead of a negative four. And those things you don't need a lot of equipment for. And most of the time you don't need any equipment for. So if I can really hammer, okay, we can get this movement in. Let's do five minutes a day of X, Y, and Z. I'm already ahead of the game. Understanding you haven't had access to things. That's awesome. So the first part of your program would actually be, if we're looking at keeping athletes injury-free, would be is creating mobility in certain areas of the body. You mentioned the ankles, the hips. Talk to me about some of the areas where we need mobility. So the biggest places for me that we've been working on, obviously, most of our injuries are going to be lower body related, you know, ankles, hips, knees. That's where we're seeing most of the stuff going on. Tons of knees, sprains, tears of ligaments, strains and tears down at your ankle. So for me, while they're at home, getting that ankle range of motion good, doing things, if we can load it up just a little bit. And I don't mean load with a bar, but putting us in positions where I can add a little bit of weight on top of that knee and move us in different directions. While that is an ankle mobility exercise, I'm still getting that flexion and extension that I need in that knee range while they don't have a barbell. Hips are my thing. We have been doing hips since day one. That's not going to change. We drive that loose hips all the time, (laughs) all the time, all the time. But we do work on some thoracic spine mobility as much as possible. And really, I mean, we can't rotate if we're too tight to move. Um, And we'll do a little bit of shoulder mobility and then but kind of work in more of that kind of prehab, you know, eyes, Y's and T's and, and as much retraction as we can get, right? We're always like press, press, press. So getting them to come back in that position. So those are the main areas that we've been focusing on. How are you incorporating that in your program design? Is it something that you're doing pre-workout? Is it something that flows throughout the whole workout? Are you following up the strength piece after the mobility piece? What does that look like actually in your program design? 
So I've tried to change up some of my verbiage a little bit, but I would say how it looks in my program is we will warm up and then I'm going to take 10 minutes of having each athlete have an individual like activation piece. So I like to call it their activation piece because we do use a technology called Athos. Um, it's a little different than catapult. It goes in a compression on the lower half of their body. And it's giving me EMG of the hamstrings, outer quad, inner quad, and glutes. So overall, my goal is that you're using 25, 25, 25. So it should be like a perfect diamond. Nobody is a perfect diamond. You know, you may be more quad dominant and I might be more hamstring dominant. But using that technology, I can easily write you microprogram that if because you're quad dominant, I'm going to give you stuff to activate your hamstrings. That's 10 minutes of you doing single leg, double leg, whatever. And there's going to be a few areas. So you're not just going to be working on your hamstrings for 10 minutes. But for me, the other athlete, because I'm hamstring dominant, I'm going to work on stuff to activate those quads before we start the lift. And then moving into that lift piece. So if we are doing a squat day, you know, if we hit a heavy squat, then we're going to go right into some sort of explosive movement, but then finish it with a cook squat, depending on what the lift is. So I try to keep an activation, which is still hitting that mobility piece in the beginning, and then a little bit into our main lift. So obviously, once we get to that accessory pieces of it, we're not really doing it too much on that end. It's going to be with the one first big strength movement that we're doing for the day. How important is strength, overall general strength, in keeping athletes healthy? I think it's important. I don't ever want to move away from a place that we don't need to be strong. I think you're going to see more in your freshman and sophomore class that building a good strength base is going to be very important and vital for them because of the poundage on the court, running up and down, change of direction, and everything that we're loading onto their body. And it's, it's a higher intensity than what they're used to in high school. It's more minutes. It's more intense. And nine times out of 10, especially in Division One basketball, their opponents are not five foot six and 110 pounds. You're now facing a guard who's six feet, 170 pounds. So I need to have a good strength base to play once we get to those conference games and, and to make it through a season. But after that, I think once you get that general base down, then I'm moving away from making that the importance. We're going to need to be mobile. We're going to need to be quick and we're going to need to be long. So I kind of back away from that strength piece once they get to that. And not to say somebody that's a senior doesn't have to work on strength, but they might be focusing on something else. So again, always, always, always have to build that strength foundation. But then after that, what can I do to make you last a bit longer on the court? So we might not be doing double leg things anymore. We're moving from that bilateral squat to more unilateral stuff, making sure that balance is good. That quad on that side is just as strong as the quad on the other side. So that's kind of how it progresses over the course of freshman, sophomore to junior, senior. Our jobs are kind of challenging because you can have an athlete that has came from a great program. They spent four years in high school working with a strength coach and they come pretty well prepared. Or you might have an athlete that's never touched the weight room. And so I think that's got to be a little challenging as you're working with the team, you're actually working with 13 to 15 individuals. You mentioned at the beginning when you're doing the activation piece, they do stuff that's unique to them. Are you doing anything in your actual program design once they start the workout? to be able to individualize it, or are they all kind of working out as a team? Once we get in there, one, the freshman and sophomore class are still 
maybe not as intense as the upperclassmen. So where an upperclassman might be doing a split squat that's fully loaded, an underclassman might be doing some isometric holds and then moving up to some dumbbells before they go to load the bar on their back. So it individualizes like that, but also trying to take into consideration that yes, my guard is going to be strong, but what can I do to really focus on her being more explosive? Or this pose is already strong enough. I don't need to put any more size or strength on her. So what am I going to do to get her heart rate going? So I still need to hit these movements so that their KPIs are still being met. But my six foot six post is not necessarily having the same list as my five nine guard is. Yes, it's individual per the person, but also kind of for position. That's nice. You touched on the importance of mobility and strength. Now, you just mentioned conditioning. Talk about how conditioning plays a role in keeping athletes healthy. I think it's huge. You're going to see most injuries, most, not all injuries happen towards the end of the game or the second half of the game when people are more fatigued, when their bodies are not as prepped and ready to go as it was for that first half or hasn't exerted as much energy to start out. So conditioning is huge. I think that that is something that all of us right now, every sport is kind of like wrapping our brains around how to safely get everybody back. So not having trained for four months, how do we bring them back and how do we safely get them to a good conditioning? Um, And obviously not just throw them into the exact same things that we were doing before. So this is where I do think that using any sort of data, so not to say that it needs to be catapult or heart rate or athos for me, but anything that you have taken from your athletes before and looking at that data and then kind of scaling back from there. So I know from our training loads that we were looking at before, obviously my August date, I don't need to be hitting those same training load numbers that I was. You know, I might want to hit that first week back 30% less than where I was and not just bring them in and be like, okay, well, we have a conditioning test today, like where we might have done that in the past to kind of see what they did over the summer, their two weeks that they got to go home before. Let's see if you did anything. That is just not the case anymore. That is, okay, let's build up to get to that conditioning test instead. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I had one of my all-time favorite people on, one of my former athletes, Laura Stockton, and she shared her story of tearing her ACL, which was heartbreaking for her and her family, but heartbreaking for me as a strength coach. I, I know one of the things I pride myself in is taking extra care to make sure that my first job is to keep athletes safe. And so when you lose one of your own, it's really, really difficult. I'd love to have you speak about ACL tears, some of the techniques and the philosophy that you're doing to help keep your athletes safe in the knee area. I am very lucky that we have a good support staff system where I have my own athletic trainer and I have my own PT that's specific just to women's basketball. So first and foremost, I am beyond grateful to have that kind of system in place because it's allowing people to be in their own lane, not that there's not crossover. So from that aspect, 
their first initial bit of being injured is all with their PT and the athletic medicine staff. That's not to say that I'm not at appointments, that I'm not watching things and watching their rehab, but I think it's really important for them to kind of get that base without me being like, okay, when can I put my hands on them? And then that's what we have kind of phased into. So the the very beginning, they're spending majority of time PT, a little athletic medicine, and then they move less PT, more athletic medicine, maybe one day with me where we're just getting back into upper body and away from that. And then they'll slowly start moving to a piece where it's three days athletic medicine, two days me, and then you know you're almost ready to be at least to that individual's mark back out on the court when you have more three days with me, two days with athletic medicine. So we kind of build it up that way. But again, that technology piece of being able to have a starting point from when they were healthy and and understanding that we're working our way to get back to those training loads or that heart rate percentage number, whatever your number is, that has been very important. But then as far as what is important to me with return to play for those athletes, I mean, I have just been really, really harping on doing a ton and ton of unilateral stuff. And I know that makes it sound really like easy or or skilled back, but everything that we're doing is so important to building up that quad and hamstring strength and that glute strength on that side. Number one, I don't want to overwork the other side and, you know, just get that ratio from left side to right side to just be way, way, way out of reach. So that's kind of one way that, that we can work on it. But for me, working on their glute strength, making sure I'm hitting glute med exercises, but also glute max exercises and working on that adduction, adduction piece. There is not a day that goes by that they aren't working on that, but then really getting into that unilateral piece. And then as far as loading, if we are going to do a loaded exercise on like for a bilateral movement, like we're starting with front squat, we're not even starting with back squat. And we're really trying to harp on those quads. And then something that I think I do that is not just with our return to play ACL athletes, but is kind of putting them in some of those positions where they're not normally in, which is where you see that injury occur. And so by that, I'm talking about, you know, whenever we're squatting or lunging and we're like, don't let that knee come in front of your toe. Well, a lot of times, especially when it's that non-contact injury for the ACL, it's actually them overreaching in that big lunge position. And then usually they turn and pivot. And that's when you see, so it's not just an overreach because everybody reaches in basketball, (laughs) Um, but that overreach and then that pivot is where you're seeing these non-contact injuries. So why would I not want to be in an environment where I can be more safe and put them in that position? So instead of just a split squat where I'm making them very, very neutral and upright and coming straight down, let me push them in that forward position. If I'm doing a plyometric, maybe we do land on an Eric's pad instead of landing just on the flat ground and putting them in an unstable position. And that has been part of that 10-minute activation piece as well. But how can I safely put them in these positions that they're not normally in, which is where the injury is caused? Oh, such a great point to look and say, our job as strength coaches is to prepare them for whatever scenario they're going to be on the court. And we know they're going to be off balance, single leg, rotating, being nudged. And so the idea that we want to be able to keep them nice and safe and in neutral, and then we're going to build up that movement pattern in the weight room and then send them on the court and they're going to be in an environment that's way more dynamic. So I love that philosophy of being able to, in a safe environment, prepare them for the variability they're going to see on the court. What is something like landing mechanics? 
how does that come into play in your program design? I think that part is like what we touched just a little bit. I don't want to always put them in an unstable position, but how many times have you, like you played basketball, how many times have you gone up for a rebound and you come down and you're landing on somebody else's foot or just getting knocked off balance so you're not landing in these perfectly safe positions that we want chest high and feet are flat and everything like that. So my philosophy on their landing mechanics has kind of changed in the sense that I know if they're going to, if I'm watching a video of them going up for a rebound, I know that they are jumping off of their toes. How many times are they going to set themselves all the way flat, get in a good counter movement and go. And so it's not that we don't work on those things, but maybe that landing is a little bit more to their forefront. And maybe I have a stability ball where I'm standing on the side and they're landing and I'm just nudging them with it and allowing them to get familiar with being unstable, get that cognitive to start moving as well, that there is going to be a little bit of unbalance or unsureness in that landing, but their body's able to kind of absorb it and handle it because they've been in that situation before. So we talked about general strength, mobility, overall conditioning, landing mechanics, core strength, your hips. Are there any other factors that come into play that you guys work on or that we should be addressing when it comes to ACL tears? Nutrition is always something that needs to be talked about, whether we're talking about ACLs or not. That's always going to be a huge piece. So having someone either that you can talk to about it or you doing the research yourself. But as somebody who tears their ACL or injures any part of their body, like what are we doing to make sure that they are fueling to help with that injury in the sense of if one of our athletes initially gets hurt, they're going to go talk to the nutritionist because we're going to get them on some gelatin or, or something else to add into their recovery. But we also need to make sure that they are eating, you know, the right amount of protein and how are we going to change up the carbs and fat for this injury of them being stuck out, but also sending them to our behavioral health department as well and making sure that that's being taken care of as well. Because these are people and these are stressful environments that maybe not everybody's used to handling. But I do think switching up your nutrition, whatever your meal plan is at the time, every athlete has a, an athlete played and da, 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 but that needs to change for injury. And it needs to be something that's going to help improve that tendon strength and ligament strength where we know it's not getting tons of nutrients, right? There's no blood supply there. So what can we do to help increase recovery? I think that's important. The challenging piece with nutrition is we get to see their workouts inside the weight room. We can do these exercises, work on specific form. With the nutrition piece, for most of the day, they're not with us. And so I think that behavioral science side of things comes into play with how do you really show the athletes the importance of why we're doing this and give them the motivation. How are you handling people's nutrition when they leave the weight room? Are there things that you found to be successful in actually helping the adherence to their nutrition plan? I do think that is the hardest part. You know, I only get to really see one meal a day and potentially like one recovery meal a day as well. Like if they're making shakes, that's one of the greatest advantages that I've seen was we did not have a Gatorade station in our weight room, but there was a blender downstairs. And then I'd be like, go make a protein shake. Having a Gatorade station or whatever school sponsors you nutrition station in, in the weight room has just been, it has been huge for us. And, and I've seen more and more athletes that will even come from class and be like, I need something to eat. I don't have time. Can I make a shake? Absolutely. But then outside of that, 
it is hard to know what they're doing without asking them. And it is not beyond me to do challenges, especially in the summertime is my big kind of educational time for them. But doing challenges, okay, can you just send me your plate every day for breakfast? Let me see what you're eating. Or, you know, make it a challenge or something like that. And we've done it where it's been a week of just you're sending breakfast. And then at the end of the week, that's what our discussion is. Post lift is talking about our nutrition for breakfast and what we're getting ready for to come have a practice or come straight to weights. And then we'll do a lunch day or I'm sorry, a week, and then we'll do a dinner week. And how are you refueling your body and how it's important for what the next days and activities are, not just because Panda Express smells good and that's what you're smelling outside of your dorm at night. Panda Express does smell really good, doesn't it? (laughs) I, I, you know, all Asian food smells amazing, but yeah, we don't need to eat it three times a day. Good point, good point. Well, so if the tibia bone makes up part of the ankle and the tibia also makes up part of the knee, we know that the knee and the ankle are connected. So I wanted to be able to look and say, how does ankles impact the knee in terms of taping, bracing? Are you guys taping your athlete's ankles or are you staying away from it? How are you handling that piece of it? Now, I don't know looking forward how that is going to look with our new big change that we had just made. However, our rule before was they had to have ankle braces on for practice and you didn't have to wear it for games. But if you want to get taped for games, you had to. This was before I got here, they were seeing a ton of ankle sprains during practice. So that was something that our coach had instilled. That was part of your uniform. So for me, my fun job is when they come upstairs, it doesn't matter if it's for weights or for practice is... Are you all wearing the same top? Are you all wearing the same bottom? Do you have your ankle braces on? And they had elbow pads for a while, but then we got out of the elbow pads. But then we actually have a new athletic trainer. So we've sat down and had a conversation just about the pros and cons of bracing and not bracing. But we haven't crossed that bridge with our new staff yet as we are slowly figuring out who those people are. But I think that's a great discussion to have. It is a great discussion. It's kind of nice when it's left out of your hands because if we decide that we're not going to tape up and someone sprains an ankle, then when the responsibility goes on my shoulders, it's a lot different conversation. But it is an interesting one because just that idea that we know the whole body is connected and we know that lack of mobility in the hips can cause problems elsewhere. And so now we're purposefully adding a lack of mobility in the ankles and what does that do up the rest of the chain? It's hard to know. No, and and to your point that you were just making, one of our things is they come in and their shoes are immediately off. And I know that it's not bracing, but think of socks as when you're a baby and they put those mittens on your hands so that way you can't scratch your face. But what if we left those mittens on your hands? So we're doing socks and shoes. So take your socks off, take your shoes off, and let's actually feel the ground. Let's move those muscles, move that big toe around get a lacrosse ball, we're rolling out underneath everything and just making sure we're stretching out those muscles that we constantly, constantly have in a brace. So just like what you're saying and making sure that we're mobile through all the way down to that big toe and pinky toe, just as much as we are ankles and hips and knees. So yes, (laughs) it's definitely, it's definitely a topic. I put you on the spot, didn't I? You did. But actually, I would say that nine out of 15 of these kids had never taken off their shoes and just rolled a lacrosse ball under it and gotten some soft tissue work in there. And then you'd be surprised how many are like, this feels really good. 
And I'm like, yeah. And then let's wait until you have to balance and, and do anything else where you're having to activate these muscles. So it's actually, it's been really good. I mean, it's doing definitely more help than harm. The only annoyance is having to put their shoes back on. <laughs> so with all the pounding that players are getting on the court with practice and skill work, how are you managing things like court agilities, conditioning, plyometrics? We know we want our athletes to be reactive and quick, but we also want to be able to manage the pounding to keep them healthy. How are you managing the two? So what I like to do, especially in the summertime, is one, if I can help it, any of our conditioning, we will do outside. So if I know it's mostly going to be straight ahead, it's going to be usually at the track. But we do have a track field where there's grass in the middle. And so I will do all of their running outside. So that part has been great. I do try to keep our agilities inside only because we do not have the shoes for the grass or the turf fields. And I am not putting that on myself for <laughs> any potential injury that's happening there. That being said, the other thing that I really, really harp on in the summertime is we will take one of my hours, well, we'll take half an hour of my time to go to the pool. And so I'm using that as a recovery piece, but I'm also getting some of that cardio piece in as well, because instead of calling it cardio, we're doing races and we are doing relays and stuff like that. And then by the end of it, they're like, oh, wow, I'm really tired. Especially if I jump in the pool and I'm like, okay, well, we're going to race then it gets even more competitive and they get out and they're, they're exhausted. But again, I'm also selfishly knowing that I'm not putting any extra strain on any of those joints. We're actually doing recovery. We'll do that dynamic warm up in the place where you can reach and everything like that. But so I'm still getting that mobility. And then on top of that, having just those simple things that you learned when you're a little kid in the pool, like the kicks on the wall, man, your legs are tired, your ankles are stiff. That's, I mean, that's helping me through all of that. So I think thinking outside of the box that it doesn't just have to be on the court is something that has been important. And then the extra, extra added benefit is some of these kids have never swam in their life. And I have this amazing, one of our assistant swim coaches knew that I was doing it and came to our practice of swimming. And he took anybody that couldn't swim off to the side and, and used that time to do swim lessons for them. And he did it free of anything. He came over and he wanted to help. And just having that extra skill, I'm sorry, I know that's a side tangent, but I think it's really important. You know, you never know what situation that you're going to be in where you might be around water. So that was added. And then one of the days we are not doing traditional conditioning, we will either do boxing class, or we will go to spin class and try to mix it up like that. They really liked boxing until they're like, Oh, well, my wrist kind of started hurting. So that's when we started started alternating to do spin class and boxing class. And it's just other cardio and it's low impact. And it's if you have not done a spin class, then you are missing out on how many calories you're going to burn. But it's good just, again, trying to change it up a little cross training, if you will, but we're still able to hit some of the markers that we need to hit without that pounding. I love your out-of-the-box thinking. We did boxing with our athletes in the past, and great workout. That heavy bag never gets tired. No matter how hard you hit it, it never gets tired. But I love the mentality piece of it, too. It was really good to kind of see the athletes kind of pull their shoulders back and feel really confident. So that was a great tool as well. It was interesting to me to see just like what you're talking about with their posture, but also their facial expressions. 
to them kind of turn into this. You then sort of see this kind of badass fighter face that comes out where they're like, okay, and like really getting into it. But I will say this last guy that we brought in did like finished with a 10 minute core piece. And you would have thought that my athletes had never done core in their life. And it was insulting to me, but in a good way, very humbling. But they were like, we just wanted to do the boxing. We didn't want to do any of that. But it is a great instantaneous like heart rate through the roof right away. And then again, we're still burning calories. We're still doing what we need to do. And if you want to talk about the footwork that's involved with it, I'm still hitting footwork when they're teaching them how to move in that box square. And anytime we can add a rhythm to how they're moving their feet and, and how they're moving in general, I mean, that's going to be beneficial to us no matter what. Ashley, this was all so great. Thank you so much for all your time and for sharing with us. Where can our listeners find out more about you? You can go to my Instagram. It's just Ashley, but I spell it weird. It's A-S-H-L-E-I-G-H-B-6. That's my Instagram page. There's going to be tons of stuff on there with our women's basketball team and and our men's team. Um, And other than that, it's my email. It's Ashley, A-S-H-L-E-I-G-H dot Beaver, B-E-A-V-E-R at Duke.edu. I can't wait to get you in Zagville up here in Spokane. And one of my lifelong dreams was to play at Duke and my whole career never got to play there. So maybe I could be a fan there one day and cheer you guys on. Well, we'll take you around and let you see all the things that you need to see in the secret tunnels and all that fun things. Secret tunnels? That sounds official. <laughs> But thank you so much for having me on and and taking the time over your COVID break to do this. And hopefully next year, I'll get to see you at the basketball symposium again. Now that's a wrap on episode 48. And I hope you'll join me next week where I get to share how I teach enthusiasm to basketball players. Research shows that enthusiasm not only makes you a better teammate, but also a better player. And so if you want players to contribute to your team's culture, I think you'll take away some good, actionable ideas. And all of you who are committed will earn your X.